They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy himself, and the guy I know today is Mark Willis. Mark Willis is a man on a mission to help you think differently about your money, your economy, and your future. After graduating with six figures of student loan debt, an all-too-popular story in this country these days, he discovered a way to turn his debt into real wealth as he watched everybody else lose their retirement savings and home equity in 2008. He knew that he needed to find a more predictable way to meet his financial objectives and those of his clients. Mark's a certified financial planner, two-time best-selling author, and Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Glad to be on. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'm quite passionate, as I was telling you beforehand, about this, you know, helping people get control of the economy and get control of capitalism, because I think capitalism is pretty cool if we do it right. As I always joke, like, free markets are great. We should try it sometime. Right. Exactly. So tell us, Mark, what makes you awesome? That's a a great, great line, man. Um, Yeah, I I always say, uh, Bob Marley said, uh, isms are for schisms. Mm -hmm. But what I do like is free and private trade between self-interested parties that Mm -hmm. can advantage both parties and make the world a better place. Yes. Uh, So yeah, my name's Mark Willis. Thanks so much for having me on, Michael. Glad to have uh, the chance to share. You know, it seems like the cycles uh, keep repeating themselves. I, I graduated, like you mentioned, from uh, from three private schools between my wife and I, and we had about $120,000 in student loan debt, and it was bearing down on us like a train. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is in the middle of 2008, where there was plenty of jobs, and it was a great time to be looking for work, you know, and <laughs> we that moved from- the other uh, 2008. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, the alternate universe uh, of 2008, where everything was a rosy- and perfect picture. No, we, we definitely had that. It was like a, a, an albatross around our neck. Uh, and every month we had to come up with a sizable chunk of cash. It felt like a, a, a mortgage payment every month mm-hmm. and just sinking it into the ground that we'd never see again. And I jokingly have told folks that I, I married two women in college, my beautiful wife, of course, and Sally May. <laughs> came along with me for the ride and she wanted uh, to take up residence in our house and we were not having it. Uh, so we were, you know, uh, scrimping together. It was rice and beans every night, but on Fridays we would switch it up and have beans and rice. We'd kind of, oh, you know, make nice. things interesting there. Yeah. Uh, and so we'd, we'd make uh, the most of it, you know, um, but really it was, it was sort of like, uh, it was sort of like a, a bondage, you know, it was about half of our income. We were trying to overpay on those student loan debts and, uh, you know, working night jobs and restaurants and anything on the side in addition to our day jobs uh, just to keep, you know, keep things moving. Mm-hmm. That was kind of where things started. Uh, so that's what makes me awesome. I don't I don't think awesome is the right word there. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but we, we survived and our marriage survived. And uh, we certainly felt like uh, a little older at the end of that journey. Uh, but what's interesting is we had the, I guess, a, a mentor of mine come and visit and shared some strategies with me that that 
cracked open my closed mind Mm -hmm. and helped me think different about my debt, helped me think different about saving, helped me think different about the uh, the issue and the problem of of paying off our debts the old fashioned way, and from there on, we started partnering up with and working with uh, clients all across the country to help them think different about their money, their economy, their future, and it's been a, an incredible adventure ever since. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so my my usual second question, which you answered in the first question, is what's your superhero origin story? Um, which obviously <laughs> that's that's how you did that. Uh, but but that's. That's a, a powerful story, I think, for a lot of people. Because one of my missions in this podcast is to break down excuses. Because people say, "Oh, I can't because because you know I have Asperger's. I can't because I don't have money. I can't because I wasn't raised the right way. Whatever it is." And I try to get people stories. I can be like, "Well, that guy did it. Listen, now he did it." And I think a lot of people say, "I can't because I have six figures of student debt." So if you know if you have a way to help people not have six figures student debt or some other shenanigans that puts it on a shelf or turns it to their advantage or whatever, then I think a lot of people need to hear that. So tell us about what did you do with six figures student debt? Now, did you just deliver a lot of pizzas till you finally paid off $150,000 or, or did you do something else? Well, I'll, and I'll, I'll even take a step back and go to the origin story too, just to kind of give you that. Um, mm-hmm. My first memory of money was collecting. I'd been collecting all of my allowance and like uh, housework and everything. And I had a little paper bag that I had wrapped up so carefully and put it in my chest of drawers. And I had accumulated back in the day, $50, uh, which was for me at five, whatever, six years old, quite a bit. And at that moment or around that time, my mom sat me down and said, it's time to take this money to the bank. And so, okay, you know, that sounds fun. I like going out. So we went to the bank uh, and I took my little paper bag with me and I'm sitting in this little waiting room area and this stranger walks up to me and he says, okay, you know, nice to meet you. Here's your dumb dumb, right? Let me have all your money. And I'm no fool. Okay. You know, even at five years old, I knew that I'm handing over my hard earned savings to some stranger in exchange for a dumb dumb, a lollipop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and little did I know, that my money was likely safer in my paper bag than it was going to be in that guy's hands. Uh, and certainly, I think the the dum-dum analogy is probably apropos for all of us now because banks are truly the ones that run the world. And I'm not some mm-hmm. you know tinfoil hat guy here. You know, We were talking before we hit record about a book that came out a few years ago by David Graeber. The book is called Debt, The First 5,000 Years, Michael. Mm-hmm. 5,000 years! So if I, if I could name a business, if folks listening are still trying to figure out what they want to do for a living, start a bank. <laughs> That's the best, most profitable business you can be in. And you know, uh, as a certified financial planner, I'm always looking at good investment opportunities for my clients. We'll have a sit down one-on-one discussion about their concerns, about their goals, what they're trying mm-hmm. to achieve. Uh, and oftentimes the discussion of investments comes up. And really, what is the most profitable business in the world? Banking. Banking has been for thousands of years, the most profitable business known to man. That's why it's existed for thousands of years. You know, there's a, there's a philosophical uh, concept called the Lindy effect. Have you heard of this? This is kind of, I've been reading about this. It's called the Lindy effect. And Michael, what it is, is the longer something has existed, the more likely it is to exist. This okay. is why I'm going to go ahead and, you know, we're, we're releasing this the day that they talked about the new iPhone. 
I haven't heard anything about it yet, but apparently they're releasing a new iPhone once again, big surprise. But I'm going to make the prediction that the chair will be around after the iPhone is gone. Okay. Yep. Yep. Why is that? Because the Lindy effect, the longer something is in existence, the longer it will be in existence. Mm -hmm. In fact, every year the chair exists, it will by nature become more resilient and will exist further into the future. And that's different than our human bodies, right? Our human bodies, the more likely we are to croak, the older Mm -hmm. we get. But the Lindy effect says some things are just so durable, they're actually anti-fragile and they actually become stronger when they're like older. Now, how cool would that be if like our cars could do that (laughs) or our bodies could do that? So banks are anti-fragile. The longer they, I mean, they've obviously been around for thousands of years. So how do they work? Well, they take my money, your money, my $50 in that little paper bag. Mm -hmm. And Michael, let me ask you this. You probably know the answer to this, I'm sure. If I give a bank $50, how much of that money do they keep in their vault? Do they keep all of it, some of it, almost none of it? What's your guess? Uh, As much as the Federal Reserve tells them to and no more. There you go. Yeah, great answer. (laughs) And as of 2019, that was 10%. So what is that? Five bucks out of my 50 bucks, right? Uh, As of 2020, zero dollars was the requirement by the FDIC. Wow. Out of my 50. Now let's think, let's think through what happens when you put 50 bucks into your bank account. How much interest does the bank pay you or me for my deposit, your deposit? Like basically zero, right? I got 3% as a credit union, but come on, man. That's awesome. Sign me up. So 3%, that sounds pretty good. Whoopee, you know, and they give us the lollipop on the way out, right? Now, let's say I'm the guy behind you in line at that credit union. You're getting 3%. Whose money did they give me if I need a loan? Whose money are they giving me? Oh, mine and everyone else's. Yeah, yeah. What's my interest rate going to be? Probably like whatever, 10%, mm-hmm. maybe more. If it's a yep. credit card, 18%. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that that is an infinite return? An infinite return. Why? That's pretty high. Yeah. Well, they're using... They're using none of their own money. The bank's money was not involved. Mm-hmm. They're using my, your deposit for my loan. That's an infinite return. That's why banks are the most profitable business in the world. That's why they're very likely the largest building in your town. That's why the lobby in the downtown Chase building is over $500 million. The lobby mm-hmm. <laughs> is $500 million. These are the sorts of things that run the world. And I almost don't care what your mutual fund got last year. If you could find a way to be your own source of financing, to be the banker, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, everything else becomes less important. It's like the small hinge that swings the big door in your life. Yeah. If if you've got a bank in your back pocket, if you've got the, the bank keys to the vault and you can borrow from yourself, then everything else becomes, you know, icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Now, I I know part of the reason the bank can do it at scale is that if, if I loan you $10,000 at, at 7%, um, even if it's someone else's money and you default, I'm still holding the bag. And banks mm-hmm. can do that because their default rates are going to be lower than their interest rates. And so they can afford to eat those defaults on the rare sure. times they happen. Whereas an individual, it's small enough numbers that if they have a default, they, um, they I'm trying to remember, sorry, I think it was the Medici's who were driven out, driven out of business by a default. 
um, because they had one big client, the King of England, who um, borrowed a whole bunch of money for World War and then didn't pay it back. And then uh, that's why the Medici stopped being heard about after a certain point. You know, ruled <laughs> Europe and suddenly gone. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so they're, they're, yeah, you want to be careful who your customers are. And yep. who are the customers? Are they the depositors or the borrowers? Well, the the customers are the borrowers. Right. That's where uh, money comes from. Yeah. In fact, those are your assets. But they can become liabilities if they are the king of England trying to wage a war that he can't afford. Mm. Hmm, have I ever heard of a country waging wars with massive de- deficits? I, I can't think of any countries off the top of my head, <laughs> Michael. But um, yeah, that's why you know you want to make sure you are your own customer. Bank on mm. yourself. Don't necessarily, you know, you're welcome to, you know, bank on others as well. But banking on yourself is a philosophy that has a very tactical strategy to it, which is if you are your own greatest investment and you believe that and you know that, uh, and I've, I've known that to be true for, for my life, that both in terms of like numbers, like rate of return, my business is the best investment I've got in my portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also true on like a health and a personal and a marriage and a psychological and a spiritual level too. Yep. You know, I am, you are your greatest investment. Uh, yeah. So would you uh, default on yourself? I hope not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but you bring up a great point. So yeah, yeah uh, that, that's been kind of the, the approach or the, the, uh, the disposition or the philosophy that a lot of our clients have taken. They've, they've said, to heck with it, I'm going to fire my banker and I want to do this thing my way. I want to be in control of my financial future mm-hmm. and not necessarily have to rely on the Medici's uh, for a handout. Yeah. So so how do you do it? How do you how do you bank on yourself? Yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to making that decision uh, that and, and the realization that you've got um, you've got a uh, uh, you've got a banker in your life. Even if you pay cash for everything, you still participate in the banking business. Here's what I mean. Whether you finance a, a car with an mm-hmm. auto loan or you pay cash for things, one way or the other, you are in the banking business. And here's, here's how. Either you pay interest to a banker mm-hmm. or you pay cash for the car and you've now, now you've passed up the interest you could have earned on that money that you paid cash for the car on had you left that cash invested instead. In fact... The true cost, let's say your car was 30 grand mm-hmm. and let's say you're 45 years old or whatever. What is the growth of 30 grand over the next 50 years? If you live to another 50 years, the yep. true price of the car was not 30,000. The sticker price might say 30, 30,000, but the true cost of that car was whatever 30 grand would have grown to had we not bought the car and left the money invested. In fact, it could be several hundred thousand dollars compounded over your lifetime. Um, in fact, I've, I've recently come to the decision that I would rather be an, an honest borrower at somebody else's bank than to steal from my own bank by paying cash for things and thus wiping out my future retirement or other future goals I have. Hmm. So the, there's a problem with paying cash and it's an insidious problem. It's called opportunity cost. The opportunity cost. And this is true with our time as well as our money. You know, uh, we married one person. We mm-hmm. didn't marry everybody else. You know, you spend an afternoon doing one thing. If you watch, if, if you're binge watching, you know, Game of Thrones, you're, you're not out there meeting people. Yep. Yeah, it's an opportunity cost. Uh, and, and the same is true with money. If I pay cash for something, I am no longer earning interest on that money for anything else. Uh, so 
that's the first piece of the puzzle is just the recognition that you are in the banking business. Mm -hmm. And most often we're just sitting on the wrong side of the banker's desk. So okay. far, so good. Michael, any, yep. any feedback on that? I'm, I'm following that so far. So, so the, so that's the problem. And it does not sound like there is a solution because how else are you going to, you got to have a car to get around. You got to have a house. You got to have, you got to pay that medical bill or buy the new refrigerator when it breaks. So, so what do you do? Yep. Well, you, you ride shotgun your entire life. That's it, folks. Thank you very much. No, I'm just kidding. There's a... <laughs> this is the worst episode ever. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just playing. So that, so, so there, there has to be a solution on a tactical level. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're talking nice philosophy stuff like bank on yourself, rah, rah. But there has to be some like real tangible solutions. And, you know, the, 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 the asset that seems to fit most appropriately to fix the banking problem is the oldest asset in the country that I can find, which is dividend paying whole life insurance. I've been blown away as a certified financial planner at the resilience. Talk about Lindy effect. Mm -hmm. the resilience of whole life insurance throughout this country and really beyond this country way back into you know the mid middle middle ages mm -hmm. uh, and insurance contracts have a lot of similarities to banks now they're not mm -hmm. banks they're obviously they're not fdic insured banks michael yep. but you put money into the vault of your life insurance policy Okay, it's called a cash value. You're paying premium to get money into the vault or your mm -hmm. cash value of this life insurance policy. It's not locked in there like it is if it's a 401k. And you can use cash or equity in the policy, kind of like equity in your house or equity in a savings account or equity anywhere else. You know, if you've got an asset with your name on it, you can use that for any purpose. And you're welcome to withdraw the money out of a whole life policy. You're welcome to do that buy cash, uh, buy the car with cash as, as usual. But interestingly, the insurance contract gives us the right to borrow against it, to use it like collateral and to borrow against it, to bank on ourselves, to borrow against our life insurance policy and go pay cash for the car. Mm. So we're still a cash buyer in the eyes of the world. The cash buyer at the dealer, we're just writing the check as normal. But inside your financial system, the life insurance policy has now given you a loan against your life insurance cash value. And the key distinction here and what really helps solve the problem of paying cash for things and always breaking compound growth is that when I borrow against the life insurance, it won't stop growing the cash. It continues to build and grow even on the capital I borrowed. So so a lot of people hear, hear life insurance are like, hold on there, Mark. I've heard about life insurance. Whole life insurance is not a good investment, they tell me, because not much of it goes into cash value and and I should get term and invest the rest and all those other things they've heard. Um, so and I'm sure you're going to tell me why that is not the case. But I want to bring that up. because I'm sure a lot of people are like, wait a minute, I'm confused. I heard this was not the thing. So how is this the thing? And, and is this traditional, you know, bog standard life insurance, call up New York life, get a policy and you can do this thing with it or or is there? Something has to be done to make it do this thing you're talking about. You're precisely, your instincts are correct. Yeah, I my, when I first heard about this, again, kind of my wake-up call was when a college professor of mine had come to visit us. And he knew about our, our burden, our struggle with paying off our student loans. I, I'm sure he, in some ways, maybe felt uh, complicit in the, the struggle. Mm -hmm. He had no, you know, he had, obviously, he's just a good friend and a mentor, but, um, you know, he was a professor at this college that we went into debt to go to. 
Uh, and he was kind enough to come visit and hang out. He's a good dear friend and a mentor of mine now. And he told me about this concept of bank on yourself using whole life insurance, kind of a modernized form of it. Mm-hmm. And Michael, my, my arms crossed and my, my eyebrows lowered. And I said, well, Dave Ramsey would say, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and, and he looked at me right in the eye. And this is one of the kindest men you'll ever meet. But he looked at me right, right in the eye and he said, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? <laughs> My mind mind was blown. Yeah, (laughs) I couldn't. I because didn't he write the fifth gospel? I mean, wasn't that sort of uh, didn't didn't the twelve baby the the baby steps come down the 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 mountain right Mm -hmm. with Moses? So I I was. It took me about a year to get over my own you know bias, but this type of whole life insurance is engineered specifically for the ways in which I've been describing on this episode. You're right. Most whole life insurance is a terrible place to build cash value or cash savings, uh, especially in the early years. Mm -hmm. You know, you might put, let's say you put a thousand bucks a month into a policy, you might have zero dollars in cash after the first year. And the insurance agent has 12,000 bucks in his pocket or her Mm -hmm. pocket. Where did that money come from? Right. (laughs) So the, the more modern form of whole life insurance, you might have eight to 40 times more cash value in the first years. And it builds faster because of that compounding for the rest of your life. Commissions are about cut by 70%. Death benefit is shrunk down as hard as you can make it shrink Mm because we're trying to squeeze all the expenses out of the policy to flood this thing with more cash. Lots of folks. I think there are, I looked this up the other day. There are 400,000 life insurance agents in this country, 400,000. That means there's about one insurance agent for every 800 Americans. Mm -hmm. Now let's, step aside for a minute. Let's say that there was one heart surgeon for every 800 Americans and you needed, I needed desperately, we needed a a heart surgeon. Would you just go to the local guy down the street or would you find the best one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, these insurance policies that I see when when folks bring them to me and we'll have one-on-one discussions with folks over Zoom and I'll look at their insurance policy that they got from their brother-in-law Man, Michael, I got to say, most of them are like a hot mess. You know, they're riddled with fees and expenses. Some of them are going to get taxed in the future. None of them can, very rarely do I see one that you can borrow against it and it continues to grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all things you really have to have this designed properly. Um, I went through some additional credential training. It's called the Bank on Yourself Professionals Training. It took me three and a half years to get through it. It's as long as my certified financial planner designation took me, by the way. Um, so to get through that process, it's kind of like, yeah, the heart surgeon is a good analogy, I guess, because there's only 200 bank on yourself professionals in the United States. Um, so I would not just go out and work with, you know, your local state farm guy, sorry to drop, drop company names or or whatever, but yeah, you want to be very careful how you set this up kind of like a bridge or an elevator. You want to make sure they're designed properly, but once they're set up, you know, you just push the button and it works. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, that, that doctor analogy works too, that, you know, if you need heart surgery, I mean, you're any doctor can can uh, prescribe medication. You know, you need your anxiety medication. You need someone to take your blood pressure and, you know, take your vitals and see if you're dying this year. Like any doctor can yep. do that. But when you need heart surgery, that doctor can't do it. And same thing, you know, you're getting you're getting a mortgage and you want a two hundred fifty thousand dollar term policy to cover your mortgage or you want you need to get something in place so that if you die before your kids grow up, you've got that covered. And and I 
unless you disagree or nodding, I assume you don't, um, you know, your, your brother-in-law is fine to sell you a decent term policy that'll keep, you know, keep the family in the house and get the kids to go through college yep. without being in debt. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if you want something that really does something, then you really need, you know, you, you need a specialist who understands how all this work and knows. And, and, you know, same thing with financial advisors. Most of them are, uh, I, I was a New York life advisor for about six weeks and uh, then I stopped because I had no clients, but mm-hmm. I was told to go out there and sell like I knew what I was talking about. And they hire, you know, that that office probably hires 20 people every 12 weeks who are mm-hmm. now running around the street saying, I'm a financial advisor. Let me handle your finances. Right. Well, it's a, it's a lot like you go to the grocery store and you see the words all natural on your, <laughs> on your favorite food, right? Financial advisor means about the same as all natural. Mm-hmm. What you want is USDA organic. Uh, or at least if you're looking for that type of food, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, because why, why is that important? Well, there's a credentialing process for that, you know, um, for that broccoli or whatever. It had to go through 20 different steps to equal USDA organic. Yep. And that's exactly what the bank on yourself professionals program ha- has you go through. You know, you're oh, mentored, okay. there's masterminds, there's tests you have to take. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, man. There's, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, it, it comes down to what you want your money doing for you. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, where you put your money makes it act differently. And if you want your money to go into the stock market where you can't touch it for 30 years, it's riddled with fees and it's going to get taxed in the future. Well, hey, I got a nice 401k we can talk to you about. Yep. Because that's, that is what happens when you put money into a 401k. According to the Department of Labor, if you keep your money in a 401k at a 1% fee, a third of your life savings goes to the investment advisor, not to you. Wow. That's a lot. That's a shocker right there. And then what would you guess? I'll, I'll throw a little pop quiz out there for your audience. Feel free to, I'd love to know if, if you would, if you wouldn't mind chiming in on this too, just for mm-hmm. fun. I always get this wrong. Um, uh, but maybe you'll get it right on. Let's see. So what do you think? Let's say that you went all in on the stock market over the last 30 years, just nothing but equities, no bonds, mm-hmm. Just purely stock exposure. Thirty years from from where where are we now? Ninety one to twenty twenty one. Thirty years. We had some great bull markets. We had some crashes in there. But what would the real return of the average investor over the last thirty years? What would that be? What would just take a stab at it? Six hundred percent. Six hundred percent. Yeah, and on an annualized basis, that'd be. What would that end up being? Oh, do I bet? Yeah. Uh, let's see. So if you're doing 600 divided by 30, that'd be 20% a year. Whoa, that'd be awesome. But uh, no, unfortunately, the average annual return of actual investors all in on the stock market is 3.8%. Oh, that's not so good. 3.8. That's according to the Dalbar report that comes out every year, Mm -hmm. D-A-L-B-A-R. Folks can Google that. But my goodness, 3.8% with the market doing what it's doing and the volatility that we've all experienced, mm-hmm. I would demand a higher return yeah. if we're going to have the kind of shenanigans we've had over the last 30 years, more than 3.8%. So yeah, it just comes down to where you want to keep your money, Michael, you mm-hmm. know, um, and where you put your money makes it act differently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so uh, I guess two things I want to touch on. One is, I recently I personally had a mindset shift on money um, because, you know, talking about your, your biggest biggest return is your own business. Um, and through, 
my, you know, going to Strategic Alliance Live, meeting a lot of really legitimate opportunities. And all these programs, there, there's a number of programs I'd say probably have an 85 to 90% success rate if you do them, where it's about a 10,000, maybe $20,000 buy-in and a payoff of a hundred to a hundred thousand to a million. And I looked at it and said, uh, I wish I had the money. Meanwhile, I talked to my, my local credit union and, you know, with my credit and whatever, they're like, oh yeah, you know, if you need 10, and to them, $10,000 isn't even a business loan. They're like, yeah, that's not even worth applying a bit. Just make that a personal loan. I went to a, a furniture store to buy some furniture and moved into our house to buy a $1,500 furniture set, which to me, with my background, felt like, you know, the most expensive furniture in the world should have gold plates on it. But anyway, <laughs> they, and, and so, so we, we applied for credit for it and they said we were approved for, it's funny, $1,500. And they said, you're approved for 13. I was like, oh, so we owe you another $200. They said, no, no, you're approved for 13,000. Mm, I'm like, 13,000, right? $13,000 that mm-hmm. like, you'll just give me on a signature. They're like, yeah, sure. And made right. me realize. And, and still I was not investing in these things because I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to take on debt. Dave Ramsey says debt is bad. I shouldn't be doing that. And meanwhile, if I'd done that and now I am, you know, I'm, I'm working with, with one of those programs. It looks like it's going to return quite a bit. Uh, but, you know, what if I'd realized that and borrowed at 6%, 7% that money so I could get a 700% return over the course of six months? Or, right. or, or you know, because always a chance of failure, get into two yep. of them. Sure, yeah. Two things, 85% chance. Um, yep. And it's, it's, and as I said, people are taking 3% or even... Yeah, yeah, the the pundits say eight percent, but three percent, whatever. It's not mm-hmm. that. It's probably eight percent minus all sure. the fees. Um, yeah. And, well, it's a it's it's eight percent for the market, but okay. for the investor, right, it's yeah. different. It's the same concept. Like if you go to, let's say you you're going from uh, from the office back home at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Uh, as the crow flies, the yeah. the distance might be ten miles from your office to home, but maybe you've got to go up and down and up and down and you got to go to the, the grocery store. You got to drop off the dry cleaning. You got, yeah. you got to go pick up the kids. That makes and sense. Then, you know, so that volatility in the market is what brings down our real return. Mm-hmm. It's the ups and the downs that destroy our, our average. Um, and yeah, you're right. You know, there's, there's a story I'll tell you quickly. Um, one, this is how we paid off our student loans. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we borrowed against my life insurance yeah, policies. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is how'd you do yeah. that? So yeah, we just, you know, borrowed again. The money was in our bank account in about four or five business days. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in control of the entire process. Yeah. We could pause, stop, lower, raise the repayment to the policy loans that we controlled. Yeah, to back up one second. So you, yeah. was it just you, you deflected your payments into the life insurance policy and then took it back out? Is that? Yeah, we've uh, trademarked the, con- we've trademarked this. Uh, instead of the debt snowball method, we've created the debt snow bank method. Okay. Uh, where you, you pay your minimums on all your debts. That's step one. Keep current on all your debt. Step two, you instead of overpaying on your debts, you throw everything that you can above your minimum payments to the debt and to the banks. You throw that extra money into a life insurance policy that's properly designed. Okay. And, and, and are these policies flexible? Like, can you pay a different amount each month? Or you can, yeah, okay. yeah. If times get up or down, you can raise it or lower it. Yep, absolutely. And is there a minimum then, you have to put in, or how's that? Usually, you design that with your bank on yourself professional. They'll design that for you so that it's comfortable, whatever okay. that minimum might be. And it might just be, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month at a minimum, whatever. Um, but once you've kind of built up some cash in the policy, mm-hmm. you borrow against the life insurance and wipe out your debt one right. at a time. And and what you've done there is you've bought back your debt. 
now the debt is in-house. Mm-hmm. You know, you fired your Sally Mae friend, you know, and now you've got that debt on your balance sheet. But the key there is the policy is continuing to grow toward your future as if there was no loan. Uh, I did the math and with our amount of debt, we had, we had paid it down to about 70 grand by the time we heard about bank on yourself. But we used the policies to wipe out the rest of our student loan debt. And because we used our policy, we will have an extra $250,000 in our retirement that we would not have had otherwise had we just paid the student loans off the old fashioned way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of dollars. Yeah, that's a that's a couple of, you know, happy meals right there. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that that's a lot of avocado toast. That's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's one story. I'll tell one other quick one. There was a gentleman who, you know, when he got started, he didn't have a ton of student loan debt, but he was a struggling photographer and um he just started what he could, 500 bucks a month was what he felt like he could save. And at the time, he was in, you know, he was just, you know, covering his bills for his uh, photography business. And so he, he saw this as a way to buy his photography equipment. And so his next photography lens and tripod and everything, he used his policy. He also used it to buy a mattress and some other just simple stuff around the house, furniture, whatever. Uh, okay. But then he starts getting this idea to start loaning it to some of his colleagues, his other photographers, because they're talking about, hey, nice lens. Where'd you get it? And they want to get the cool new camera. So he mm-hmm. says, well, I'll loan you some money. And they give him, a, now they pay him a monthly payment, right? So he's getting paid by his competitors and it's a side business. That stream of income is something he doesn't have to work for. He's taking photos over here, but getting payments from all his competitors over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't this, if you're a business owner listening to this, I mean, wouldn't this help you become more competitive if you had the banking business as kind of your side operation, yeah. uh, not just for your own needs, but for you know, the, the, the chance to get another couple of streams of income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and admitting I'd heard of this before you came on the air. Um, one story I heard was a, a uh, dentist who started financing his, because you'd have people, you know, couldn't afford the braces. They'd go to the bank. Yep. They'd be yep. paying, you know, 18% interest to the bank to get those braces. And he yep. realized he could use his bank on yourself system. And I think he was charging like 9% interest. Because mm-hmm. when they went to the bank, eighteen percent, we can't afford that. Yeah. So, so now, now the the kids get the service, they the care they need. He gets their business and doesn't send them off down the street. Yeah. Uh, and the parents aren't aren't buried in debt, and everyone's winning. Yeah, that's right. That. Well, that everyone's winning is what I love to hear because you know we again banking is a permanent function in human civilization. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that again. It's going to survive just about any other you know s- system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to survive democracy, I think. It's going to survive just about anything that we might put put against banking. Banking will just be. Yep. Um, it's as old as the cavemen, right? Mm-hmm. But but if we can take that banking away from somebody else and bring it back in-house, you can profit from that. And I think the world is a better place when the a, a mega corporation is not in control of the banking function in your life, my life. If mm-hmm. we can bring banking back down to the you and me level, then I think a revolution takes place. You know, yep. what if 10% of Americans, 10% of Canadians and Americans did this? What if just 10% of us did this? Mm-hmm. Like what would happen to the credit card industry, Michael? What would happen to, you know, the the the, the payday loan shops? Uh, there's a church here in Chicagoland. They use their policy to wipe out all their members and, and, and neighbors' debts once a year. They call it Jubilee Sunday. Mm-hmm. They borrow from the policy and wipe out all these debts. 
And then they do some like financial coaching and encouragement to those people. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a great chance to be, you know, um, a little little breath of fresh air uh, amidst a lot of, um, you know, difficulty that a lot of people are experiencing right now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a huge thing. And, you know, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of history. I listen to uh, Tides of History with Patrick Wyman and he has a new book, The Verge, which is all about that uh, 1400 to 1550, I think is the era. Um, and it's, it's fascinating. You know, all, all these wars, I'll talk about this, this war and how they had to go into debt because of it. You know, the French Revolution started because France was severely in debt and they needed to do things to appear good for their creditors. Um, what about World War II? You know, why did that get started? Well, because of the hyperinflation of World War I, Germany mm-hmm. had to print so yep. much, uh, Weimar Germany had to print so much money because yep. they had reparations from World War I. And so debt is, is a, it, it is like the, it's, it's what is undergirding most everything else. Mm-hmm. And this is again why I don't care what the mutual funds got in your 401k last year. And I don't care, you know, necessarily what your, you know, your investment advisor at, you know, retail shop X says you're going to get for the next 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, what I care about is who's controlling the banking function in your life. According to the U.S. Commerce Bureau, the average American spends 37% of his or her income to service their debts. Wow. Now, if time is money and that statistic is true, if it's even half true, What's a third of our day? You know, mm-hmm. what's a third of our day? If time is money, we're slaves to a bank a third of the day. We're yep. sleeping another third and then throw taxes in there. I mean, it's no wonder we're all, you know, uh, cross-eyed working so hard these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, yeah, if you can if you can just imagine that revolution of what 10%, even just 10% of Americans, what it would do to marriages and, and relationships with children and yep. and our charitable causes, so anyway, I'm off my soapbox, but yeah, let's, but, yeah, let's that, go get that, it, man. That's huge. I'm so glad you shared this. And these are, you know, these are really powerful concepts um, that, and, and there's there's so many things out there. You know, as, as I as I always say, you know, free markets are great. We should try it sometime. Um, capitalism is not this this predatory system where the rich steal from the poor and ruin everything. It it's it's a game, and if you don't know how to play it, you lose. But nobody's hiding the rules. They're just teaching everyone the wrong rules, uh, well, and sudden, of course, yeah. and of course, you know, for the first eighteen years of everyone's lives, they're being taught pretty much everything by government workers making thirty-five thousand dollars a year. Nothing against teachers; teachers are amazing people, and and the way they teach, you know, what, what they share and inspire is, is fantastic. But there's nobody coming in who actually understands money, or understands business, or understands um, what people are going to get into when they get out there. Because a lot of teachers. They went to school, they went to college, they taught at school. At no point did they leave that ecosystem and yeah. get out into the world. Um, and, you know, I should not be walking into a second grade classroom and teaching them because there's all this classroom management stuff that they know and all Maybe this. you should. Um, Maybe you should. Well, we know, we know in terms of like elementary school because <laughs> oh, there's a lot yeah. of things they know that I don't. Sure. But as you start getting up to the high school age, they need to be getting a lot more people like, like you and, and right, like, me. like you. Like me, yeah, uh, you know, like you and me, and you know, people actually understand. Okay, here's what you're going to hit because go to college and get a good job. That's a that's a fool's bet, and yeah, yeah. I- I- any place else if that wasn't college would be straight up a, called a scam. You're going to go here. <laughs> you're going to take out massive debt, crippling debt, and they're going to they're not going to promise you anything. It's not yeah. like you go to college and they promise. Okay, you're going to come out here and you'll be able to pay this debt off in six years. It's it's come here, take out massive debt, and you'll be fine. Yeah. 
know, and, and what else are you going to do? Not get a degree? Loser. Anyway, right. here's your debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good job. You know, people are 40s and 50s still paying their college debts. Crazy. Oh, yeah. I, I, and we meet with folks all over the country. Unfortunately, I see some of them, their social security is being garnished, you know, in their senior years. Their social loans. security is being garnished for their student loans. Yeah. That says everything you need to know about what banks are up to. Uh, So, so I I thank you for this opportunity to share this. Yes. Uh, yes, And you know, I, I just want to paint the picture that it's possible guys. It's possible for you. Where is it written that you have to follow uh, wall street's uh, tune? You know, don't do what banks are telling you to do with your money. Watch what they're doing with their cash and go Mm -hmm. do that instead. Yep. And so how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about this? You know, if you want to just dive into this concept, you can listen to our podcast, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Uh, not Your Average Financial Podcast. You can hear it wherever you're listening to this show, I bet. Uh, if you want to hear more, if you want to just chat with me, I'd be happy to chat. Go to bit.ly slash learn boy. That's B-I-T-L-Y slash learn B-O-Y. Bank on yourself. So right. I'd be happy to chat with folks. Awesome. And of course, those are, those are linked in the linked in the show notes. Someone pointed out to me, nobody reads the show notes, but if you do read the show notes, those links will in fact be there. So Mark, it's been awesome having you on the show. This has been a lot of fun. I always like talking about uh, death stuff as we we're talking about as a, a teaser. Maybe this is done by the time this episode comes out. Maybe it doesn't. I'm working on putting together a Facebook group to kind of help people learn all those basics. I'm inviting all my financially knowledgeable friends in there to share what they know. And, and, and as you said, change the world because if people knew how to manage their finances, the world would be a much better place. And, and America would be a much stronger country. So, so this thanks is for all you do. And I, I look forward to hopefully continuing this conversation. Thank you, Michael. This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect. JV-Connect.com. That's JV dash connect.com December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.